up our study in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11. If you need a Bible, put your hand in the air and the guys will bring one to you. You know, earlier this week as I pondered this text and was thinking about it, thoughts of how applicable it is to our current climate and and such that's sweeping through our nation. We, we have this toxic climate between the police and the public right now being fueled by a, an imbalance of media uh, portrayal of events with officers using force. And uh, you have to know that this is skewed and the media has really has a bias behind this. And, and they're just fueling this animosity uh, that's taking place in our public. And and now because of this inaccurate presentation of facts, the There are large groups of protesters throughout our country spewing hatred for the very men and women that would protect them the next moment. And and so we we have this great division. I mean, it was kind of highlighted the kind of the hatred uh, at the DNC's convention when they had a moment of silence for the fallen police officers in Dallas and Baton Rouge. Uh, They couldn't even keep silent. It was just... Uh, a mockery and and so it was just a, a blatant picture of how divided things really are and uh, you know I, I was thinking about that and, and last week we were reading in our in our daily devotional time in Romans 13 and I, I couldn't talk about this subject without reading these verses because they're so applicable to what's happening it's in Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 5 it says Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. And here's an important thought. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. I mean, it's it's just laid out for us so plainly. Uh, you know, my friend John Kornichuk wrote a, a great little commentary on his Facebook site about our responsibility and, and our correct response to government. And, 
you know, how we should put God first, but there is a responsibility to submit to authority. And <clears throat> so that's just a side note. But we have this division going on between police and citizens, and as an offshoot of that, we have this uh, really fierce racial division taking place in our nation. And it's, it's more so now than any time since the 1960s. I mean, it's just really uh, intense right now, and um, there's real hatred being expressed. And we also have a country that is split right in half politically. We, we have these two factions, the liberals and conservatives, and, and it's split right down the middle, and there's animosity and, and anger between the two groups. And uh, in this election cycle, it's been heightened because there's so much talk now about each other's side uh, that this division is very intense right now. And, and so we, we look at all this turmoil and hatred being spewed out, and it, it looks like it's hopeless. I mean, it looks like, how can this ever come back together and, and us be a United States of America? I mean, how can, how can this come back together? And <clears throat> we also look at the Western, uh, the view of Western culture by those, uh, uh, in Islam and their hatred driven violence for anything that is the Western culture. And uh, we, we see that that violence is perpetrated against us. The threat of that violence is there. And, and so we're faced with this, all of this uh, divisiveness, all of this animosity between these different groups of people. And, and we, we just have to wonder, how can people who have such different views come together and, you know, they, they have these different views of and even prejudiced views of others. How can they come to a place where there's peace between the groups? Well, I want to let the Scripture answer that as we look at what Paul was dealing with here in Ephesus. I think it, it will speak to this issue. Um, the title of today's message is, He is Our Peace. And this is what the text is going to deal with this morning, bringing down the wall of separation be, between the Jew and the Gentile, allowing Jesus to be our peace. And we're going to see how applicable that is even to today. So let's, let's look at it beginning at verse 11. It says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that, it, that at, the, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so this this section begins with the word therefore, and you know by now that that means you look backwards. He's, he's kind of bringing together the thoughts that he's already expressed and, and earlier in the chapter. And so he's, he's kind of bringing the whole chapter together now. And he says, therefore, because you who were dead in sin, you were made alive in Christ, 
Therefore, because you know that God deposited himself and his power into your life as a believer and, and giving you the power to face the, the situations and issues of life, uh, therefore, because you know that you're saved by grace and his grace alone through faith, it's not of your own works. Therefore, because you know that you are his workmanship created now for good works in Christ, because you know all of this, he's saying, don't forget where you, you came from, where God has brought you from. It was necessary for them to remember that God had, had where God had brought them for, from in order to get over this, this great partition that was between the two groups, uh, the, the Jews and the Gentiles there at the church in Ephesus. And let me, let me explain it like this. <clears throat> We're not the only ones to have this problem of groups that, that are divided and prejudices and, and such. This, this was taking place in the first century. Uh, if you study the, the history of the ancient world, you, it'll show you that these social distinctions, uh, none of our racial barriers or even the Islamic hatred that's going on are more exclusive than the separation that was between the Jews and the Gentiles. It was intense. There, there was a, a firm wall between the two groups. The Jews believed that the Gentiles were only created to fuel the fires of hell. That was their mindset. So they, they looked at the Gentiles and they thought, okay, well, God created them so that the fires of hell will have fuel when they're thrown in hell. I mean, that was their outlook. And, and according to William Barclay's commentary, a common slogan of that day was, the best of the serpents crush, the best of the Gentiles kill. And, and so you can see the mindset that they had was, was, you know, much like we see today. For the Jew, it was not even lawful to assist a Gentile woman in giving birth because you would be helping to bring uh, another heathen into the world, and so they couldn't even assist in the birth. Well, the the church there in Ephesus was made up of mostly Gentiles, but there was a a small group uh, of Jews in the church as well that that were saved, and and so the Gentiles were referred to as the uncircumcision, and they were referred to this by those who were called the circumcision, the Jews. It was true in past times that God made a real distinction between the Jew and the Gentile, beginning with Abraham and moving all the way forward to the birth of the church there at Pentecost. There was a distinction, but in Christ, that distinction was erased. And and so, you know, Israel had had a, a unique position among the nations. In fact, the Gentile could only... Uh, become part of Judaism through becoming a proselyte. There was a process they had to go through in order to even be part of Judaism. In in time, the distinction caused this friction uh, because the Israelites became prideful of their position and their 
and their special place in the eyes of God. And there was a, an arrogance and a pride that they had uh, about who they were. And, and so they, they started to look down on the Gentiles and hatred crept into their hearts. And, and it actually began to develop in the Gentiles toward the Jews. And so they were pitted against one another with this extreme hatred for the other group and this conflict between the Gentile and, and versus the Jewish superiority was huge. And again, there was a great division between the groups and hatred prevailed. The Gentiles were referred to as dogs in the, in the Jewish lingo and the Jews were homicidal enemies according to the Gentiles. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like today. Well, Beginning in verse 11 of our text, Paul calls this to remembrance while he's writing to these Gentile believers. Uh, what, what was the reason for this alienation? Well, the answer wasn't social and it wasn't cultural. It was spiritual. That was where the great division was. It was a spiritual problem. And, and so we, we, we need to understand through our text verses 1 to 10 that it's shown that both the Jews and the Gentiles were spiritually alienated from God. And, and there was, in, in one sense, even greater distance to the Gentiles' uh, alienation. However, the text shows us that this was overcome through Christ. There was reconciliation for all men to come through Christ. And, and so we, we remember, we were told Jesus died for all men. Not, not just the Jews, not just the Gentiles, but for all men. And in fact, uh, the, the fact that we were once dead in our sin and are now made alive in Christ, Jew and Gentile, it puts us in the same position. We, we all come to God through the cross of Jesus. We all have the same access to God. And, and we're on equal ground, so to speak. Jesus is the answer to such division and hatred between the factions of people. And, and so Paul goes on now to clarify it even more. In verse 14, he says, For he, meaning Jesus, he himself is our peace. This is one of the most profound statements in the Scripture. He himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments and contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death enmity. Folks, we, th this is such a rich portion of Scripture for us to know and understand, in, even in our culture today, Paul is, is illustrating a powerfully applicable truth that can transform a Christian life. If, if we get this and we understand it, it can transform a life. And, and so here's the illustration. This, this animosity between Jew and Gentile, which, by the way, these folks would have understood. I mean... They, they knew what Paul was, was writing about because they lived this animosity. So, so it wasn't a mystery what Paul was writing to them. They, they understood it. 
They, they lived with this friction and explosive relationship with other groups and throughout their entire existence. They were at odds with one another, and they, they knew of this turmoil firsthand as Paul penned this letter to them. And this is how they saw each other, the sinful, uh, divisive nature that, that is shared by all humanity as we see around us today, one group hating the other. And yet Paul writes to the Ephesians to demonstrate how God has has breached, used this breach and animosity between the Jews and the Gentile to prove that, that Jesus is able to overcome all forms of polarization. Jesus can bring peace where groups are separated. And, and he is able to bring about unification. He, he's able to bring the two and make them one. Even arch enemies he can bring together. And so Paul has, has masterfully presented to them uh, up to this point in the chapter that everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, we're all sinners. We're, we're all miserable apart from Salvation through Jesus Christ. And, you know, there's a, there's a push in our society to not talk about sin. In, even in church life, there's this sense that we shouldn't talk about sin. Folks, this, this is the reality. We have to talk about it. And, and the truth is, is that when we do talk about it, and we're not afraid to, to preach the truth, about sin, you don't have to convince people that they're sinners. We know. I mean, if you take an honest assessment of your life, you know that you're a sinner. And, and so we shouldn't be afraid of that word. It's part of the gospel message. And, and so Paul makes it clear in this chapter that, that he has brought sinners to himself to be reconciled to God through Christ. We're equally separated from God because of sin, including the sin that is birthed in this animosity and hatred that was going on. However, we've been reconciled to God by one man's act of obedience. When Jesus went to the cross, he he brought the factions together, and, and we come to God through him. Jesus as he was nailed to the cross, was the only one qualified to die for your sin and my sin. He was, as he was nailed to the cross, his death is what brings about peace for mankind. And he states in verse 14 that he is our peace. He is our peace. And, and folks, I can't overemphasize how important this lesson is to us. As as he's sharing with these believers in Ephesus and he's laying out this truth that has become uh, key throughout the ages, not not just to the Ephesian believers, it's just as true for us today. It's a truth for you and me that Jesus is our peace. And we we have to know that. We have to understand that. Remember, these, these first three chapters, we've talked about this before, were written so that we would understand all the benefits that we have by being in Christ, that that being saved 
These are the benefits for our life. And one of those benefits is that we can be at peace because of what Jesus has done. Paul says to them, he is our peace. Broken down the wall of division between the Jew and the Gentiles. It says, you Gentiles who were once far away, now you have equal access to the throne of God. The, the wall of separation is torn down. And, and so we approach God on an equal plane. And, and so when the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace uh, <clears throat> to help in our time of need. As, as he's writing that, he's saying that all of us come into that place, the throne of God, on the same plane, Jew, Gentile alike. Every, every person who comes through the cross now has the, the freedom and the, the blessing of being able to approach the very throne of God. We, we can approach his throne boldly. That doesn't mean arrogantly. It just means with confidence. We can approach it with confidence. Uh, no one from either group having greater place than the other. The same blessing for all of us. This means that you and I can approach the, the throne of God today. We can do that. Now you may be thinking, wow, that's cool, Pastor, but I already knew that. What's so profound? Well, it's profound because we can approach the very throne of God. And, and I think sometimes we minimize that. And we, we kind of approach that subject in, in kind of a nonchalant way. But, but God has given us access to his very throne. He, is, he has allowed us to confidently come in to his throne and petition him. I believe we've lost the sense of what this means in our everyday life. And, and I don't think we approach his throne enough. Oftentimes we're just kind of shooting from the hip as we go through life. And, you know, we're making decisions just kind of like whatever. I mean, we have the ability to go straight to the throne of God for every decision we make. And ask the Lord for wisdom. No extra charge for that, by the way. But, but this, the, the real profound truth I see in this text is in its illustration to us for our lives today. We see all this animosity and strife as the Jews and Gentiles were contending with, and therefore we can draw this perfect parallel of a principle for our lives today as we face all these different factions and groups and people pitted against each other. You know, as I mentioned earlier, we have many groups today with these very same tensions between them. And, and it seems as though when you look out, there's no hope. It's like, how in the world can people who are so polar opposite come together? How can they be at peace with one another? Now, if you think about it for the moment, most people that we come in contact with have a desire for peace in their life. 
I mean, it's kind of built into our humanity to want to be at peace. Nobody likes being stirred up all the time. And, and so there's this thing that's innate in us that, that there's a real desire to be at peace. And we, we have a hunger for that. Even though there are many things that cause turmoil. And so peace is one of those primary human desires. And, and so Paul goes on to say this in verse 17. And he, Jesus, is who he's talking about again. He came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So Jesus came preaching this message of peace that man has been searching for, that that man has hoped for. Jesus brought this message of peace, and he he brought it... um, so that we could experience this promise of peace. And uh, the, the fact that our greatest sense of turmoil, our sin, can be forgiven, shows us that he wants to put our life at peace. He is our peace. He's our, Jesus is our stability in a very unstable world. It's interesting to me as I watch people and how they react to tension and stress and uh, the things they try to do to kind of manufacture peace in their life. There's this, uh, because there is a natural sense to want to stop the tension. And, and it's interesting if you watch people, um, they do it in destructive ways. You know, I've talked to many people who, who have quit smoking for quite a while, and, and yet when stress comes up, that's the first thing you want to do is go get a cigarette. It's like, ah, I'll just go smoke a cigarette. That'll calm me down. It's a lie. <laughs> Don't buy into the lie. Uh, others will try to attempt to alleviate stress by drinking. They'll, they'll say, okay, well, if I, if I just drink, you know, I'll, I'll calm down a little bit. It'll put me kind of at ease. That's another myth. It, it invites more problems into your life than it'll ever fix. So be careful what you do. Uh, others will take drugs and 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 try to do the same thing. And, and this is the deal. You're not going to find relief with a substance. You're going to create more difficulty and greater trials to contend with. And, and so Jesus came preaching peace. He is the answer. He is our peace. He's the answer that we've been looking for. And as we draw close to him and commit our ways to his ways, there's this amazing tranquility that comes upon us. There's peace when, when we're, we're living for him and we're putting him in his proper place in our life. It brings peace. When we stop striving with the same junk the world has been counterfeiting with forever, we can come to him on his terms and experience his peace. You see, when we receive Christ and our sin is forgiven, our our relationship with him is secured, then we are at peace. It doesn't mean your problems disappear. It just means you're at peace. Even contending with issues, you're at peace. Now, maybe you came here this morning and you've you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a few minutes. You can pray 
and ask Jesus to be your Savior. You can put your faith in the fact that he died for your sin and you can experience real peace. But to those who have received Christ, the the lesson learned here is not to walk away from that place of peace. Don't go back to the old systems. Peace is found in him, in pursuing him, in walking with him, in making him the Lord of our life. And, And so when you sense tension building, don't turn to the world for the answer. Turn to Jesus. He promises that he will be peace. The walls have been broken down. We we have complete access to him. And all that he has to offer, it's by grace, unmerited favor, we've been saved. Based on his goodness, not yours. In Isaiah 9, 6, he tells us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Jesus promised his disciples in John 14, 27, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. He is peace. Like their masters, disciples also became peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. You and I can have a blessed life if we're a peacemaker. We're we're taking that message of peace out to those around us. Peace surrounded the ministry of Jesus. He continually blessed those who believed in him. Among his last words to his disciples were, these things I have spoken to you that that in me you may have peace. He left them with that message. The ministry of the apostles and other preachers of the early church was characterized by preaching peace through Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, Peace. It's one of the fruits of having a relationship with God and having the Holy Spirit working in our life. God's kingdom itself is characterized by righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The God of peace calls his people to peace. And he closes with this. He says, now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom... You are also you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. No longer strangers to God. Adopted into his family, as we learned earlier in the chapter. We're adopted into his family, full benefits as his child. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, you may cruise through this world for 70, 80, 90, if you get a good run, uh, 90 years. 100 years, you, you may cruise that long, but you're just passing through this place. Our, our citizenship is in heaven. That, that's our citizenship. And, and so, therefore, don't let the, the pressure of this life derail the peace 
that Jesus promises to you. Now, this, this teaching is not built on my wisdom. It's built on the word of God. We can take him at his word. We can believe him for what he has told us in his word. In other words, the truth of Scripture is where we, we can rest in, we can hope in, and we can know it to be true for our lives. Jesus is the cornerstone of the message that Paul is preaching to these folks in Ephesus. I'm, I'm not trying to peddle some uh, man-made secular psychologist message. I'm, I'm telling you what the Word of God says. It's truth. We can take it to heart. We can put our faith, our hope in it. Jesus has come, the author, the finisher of our faith. He's come to declare himself to be peace in turbulent times. As we discover this truth for our own Christian life, he says here that that collectively now, we are being built up as a church, as a group of people, all coming to Christ on the same plane, unified. We're being built into a dwelling place for the Spirit of God in unity. We collectively become a witness for Jesus, a banner of what a life of peace should look like, an example that the Lord can use to build his kingdom and to draw others to himself. So, Christian, take hold of this truth. Jesus is our peace. He's broken down the walls that lead to disunity. Now, we began this message by detailing the divide in our country right now, and it seems that this wall of separation that has been dividing these different factions and groups Right now, it just—it seems like it's a permanent wall. It seems like there is just absolutely no hope that we can ever come back together as a people. There's too much difference for us to overcome, folks. This is the deal. We preach Jesus, one soul at a time, that comes to Jesus is reconciled, and that wall is torn down. If you think about it, the, the amount of people who declare themselves to be Christian in this, in this country, in this world, uh, it, it's a pretty good number. If, if we really took to heart the message that, that we are left with, this gospel message, and we begin to share this message with people, as people come to faith in Jesus Christ, that wall of separation is broken down. You say, well, you know, I don't know. The the people in Islam really hate us bad. You know, I, I've been reading newsletters from our, our missionaries that we support in Turkey. And <clears throat> it's an interesting thing because Joel Rosenberg has written about it in some of his books and uh, even some of his newsletters that there's this phenomenon going on in countries that are primarily primarily Islamic. They're having dreams about Jesus. And vivid dreams about Jesus dying for them. And they don't understand the dreams and they're going to Christians 
and asking them to explain these dreams. And they're getting saved. And, and that's when the walls start to come down, when, when they actually realize that, that, that we have the same Savior, that it breaks through the animosity and the, the hatred and the need for violence. Jesus is the answer, and we have that answer, folks. We, we have that message. You know, the, the following analogy is kind of descriptive of our mindset. An African-American pastor in Denver, Colorado, his name is Raleigh Washington, said this in one of his messages. He says, when I was born, I was black. When I grew up, I was still black. When I go out in the cold, I'm still black. When I go out in the sun, I get more black. When I'm sick, I'm black. When I die, I'm sure I'll still be black. But I found, I found out that when white people are born, you're pink. When you grow up, you become white. When you go in the cold, you turn blue. And when you stay out in the sun, you turn red. And when you're sick, they say you look green. And when you die, you turn purple. Now, what I want to know is, why do they call blacks colored people? <laughs> now, I tell you that because anyone who emphasizes the color of somebody's skin, it's only to further separate the groups and to pit them against one another. We can't allow that to happen. It's sinful pride of man to look at ways to draw boundaries around ourselves by age or accent or color, bank account, politics. We, we draw walls of separation around us, and it's opposite of what Jesus wants to do. He wants to bring us together. And, and so Paul emphasizes that Jesus died to bring people together not to push people apart. His goal is to turn outsiders into insiders so that we can all come to him together. You know, in heaven, every tribe, nation, color, male, female, we're all going to worship God the same. There isn't going to be any special place for Calvary Chapelites. I mean, we're, we're all going to approach and worship God for who he is. Not who we are, for who he is. And so, Christian, he, he is our peace. And we have, we have a message of peace that we can bring to a world that desperately needs to understand peace. Don't be afraid to share that message. Don't be afraid to talk with people about Jesus. Now, maybe you came here and you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. Well, today would be a great day for you to come on the inside and to, to understand what Paul was writing about in this letter, that you, you can establish peace between you and God. You can have peace in your own life. You can be separated from your sin. That's why Jesus died on the cross, is so that you can have that taken out of your life and you can be at peace. Now, it may not fix every problem in your life, 
but you'll be able to face them with that peace of God established in your heart. And don't, don't leave here in that same condition. Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for um, just what Paul has written in this, in this second chapter and all of the benefits that are ours because of Jesus. Lord, may we never take for granted this, this message of peace. Lord, we look at our nation. We see the division. And yet we know you've given us the answer. Lord, help us to be ambassadors of that message to the world around us. Lord, may, may we see one soul at a time come to faith and have those walls of demarcation torn down. And Lord, if there's any among us here that, that need to receive that gift of salvation, I pray that you would move upon their heart even as we pray, Lord. So I want to give you that opportunity to pray and ask Jesus to save you today, to have your sin forgiven. If that's you and, and you want to, to make that statement today and ask Jesus to come into your life, just put your hand up in the air so I can see it. I want to lead you in a prayer to invite Jesus into your life. Anybody at all? Lord, what a, what a blessing it is to know who we are in Christ. May, may we carry this message from this building, Lord, to the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. <clears throat>